Welcome to the Curiosity Key Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and I'm a B2B business development strategist, LinkedIn trainer, and curious thinking advocate. So what is curious thinking? Well, I believe that when you approach your business and your career by being a bit more curious about what's going on around you, you'll enjoy what you're doing more, engage more with others, learn more, and be able to do more. It's not just about asking more questions either. It's about asking the right questions that will unlock all of the potential opportunities around you. And this podcast aims to help you learn from other curious thinkers out there about how you can grow your business, get your idea off the ground, pioneer change, and more. This week's guest is Adam Oldfield, CEO of UK-based marketing automation company Force24. Adam launched Force24 back in 2011 with the goal of developing a platform designed with the end user in mind, that end user being the marketer. And what I admire most about Adam and the team he's built around him is his curiosity around making the Force24 platform the best it can be about what the market wants and needs. And his approach to sort of customer satisfaction and really understanding what the market needs and wants is relentless and in my opinion brilliant. <laughs> in this episode we talk about what it takes to stay laser focused on the goal and not on the competition, how to use free training and support as a strategy to keep learning more and more about what your customers want and need and how to keep innovating in a fast moving marketplace. We also talk a little bit about how to see into the future because a lot of people are talking about email marketing is dead, um, you know, what is the next new thing, how to best communicate with your customers and Adam shares a few of his tips about how you can see into the future whilst developing a tech platform such as this. Now there are lots of tips and strategies you can take away from this episode, so be sure to grab yourself a pen and some paper, or at least come back to the show notes which are available on my website, which is charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Podcast, where I'm joined with Adam Oldville from Force24. Welcome, Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Charlie. Nice to see you again. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that I love about uh, Adam and Force24, because I have, you know, I've used their platform and I very much value the fact that customer service lies very much at the heart of everything that Force24 does. And also, um, I also think it's a little bit bonkers why anybody would embark on a journey of developing their own marketing automation tool. Uh, so I thought it would be really fun to get Adam on the podcast and talk a little bit more about um, what madness drove him to starting this business and also teach a few things along the way. So you started Force24 in 2010. Um, so pretty much like what made you start a marketing automation company? You know, when, when you put it like that, <clears throat> I question it myself. <laughs> um, actually, it, it's it's really strange. So so um, I didn't know what marketing automation was. I didn't even know that there was an industry called marketing automation. I just knew that there was a need. There was something that I wanted to be able to do for a particular client at the time. I thought, you just can't do this. You just you just can't seem to do it. And I don't think many of the products have come across from, from North America, you know, the HubSpots. They were here in sort of embryonic uh, fashions and marketos of this world. They were here, and but nobody really was exposing them, and nobody really knew what, what what it was. And the term marketing automation hadn't really been coined, so it just seemed, just seemed like an opportunity. If I'd have known now what I knew, sorry, if I'd have known, 
you know what I mean? I probably wouldn't have done because of the fact, you know, the mountain that you have to climb, the, the what you have to go through to, in order to manage that amount of data, that amount of clients in order to make it profitable is just ludicrous. It would have seemed like a much more daunting a task, but at the time it felt like a really sensible thing to do. Um, but, and, and also, I don't know if you believe in, in, um, fate or divine interventions and things, but but I actually had um, a, so this bolt from the blue sort of moment where I was driving home from work, um, where I worked at the time, and I had this this like just thing that hit me. And as I, I was saying, it was like a bolt from the blue. It was like a it was like an injection of all the words, right? So the name of the company, what it did, what almost like what its mission statement was, and it was the weirdest thing ever. So I got home and I opened up Keynote on my laptop. And I just threw it all onto this keynote press. And as as I was reading this sort of keynote press back to me myself later on, it was like, oh my god, did I actually write that? I mean, because it was like <laughs> these aren't the words I'd normally use, and it was it was weird. So I kind of took that as a bit of a uh, almost like maybe this is something I should be doing. Maybe there's a, a higher power at play here. So uh, I'm very much a believer that everything happens for a reason. Um, there's there's always a cha- there's, you know with there's always an opportunity with every single challenge as well. So even if you think yeah. it's a bit challenging, there's always an opportunity in there somewhere. So exactly. you started this company in 2010. Uh, a marketing automation company and you're kind of going up head to head with um, sort of some of the the kind of big names in the industry, like you said, HubSpot, Marketo, uh, Pardot. And because I know that that's, I can't even remember, I think it was word of mouth referral that I came to you because Mm -hmm. I was reviewing uh, HubSpot and Marketo at the time when I was working as a marketer. And, you know, just to give a bit of context, you're like, how how big is the company again? You're, You're a small company based in Leeds in the UK, right? We are, we are. We're based in the UK, and there's now. So we, sorry, we've got an office in Romania as well. So this is where all our engineering work's done now, out in Romania. Um, but in in Leeds, was there's forty two, three, four, or five of us. I'm not entirely sure actually at this exact moment. So we're you know we're tiny. But interestingly, we've all heard of Campaign Monitor, right? That was um, that was a, a huge sensation. Uh, I think came. I think it set up in about two thousand and two or three or something like that. Based in Melbourne, Australia. Or Sydney, I might be totally wrong. But the famous part was that they served the globe and had 17 employees for a long, long period of time. Now they've got much bigger. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a real, it's an accolade to, to, to take money out of their pockets off our own, own merit, really. Because, you know, you think about it, imagine if you put it in the context of buying a car, you know, you've got a BMW or an Audi, or then, you know, you've got some brand from Leeds that you've never even heard of. There's no chance you'd do it. You wouldn't take that risk. But thankfully, this marketplace isn't quite like that. And marketeers are a little bit more open-minded to trying new things. And there is no necessary brand association. So it means we've got a chance against these guys. And we're doing very well. And our UK market share, which we are predominantly UK folks, but our UK market share is is sort of rapidly growing we're about two and a half thousand users at the last count so that might be about 2800 users now um retention rate at 97 percent um it's it's good it's going it's going well so how do you stand out so much in an industry against such big well-known players sort of big well-known international players like what are your kind of uh, key learnings or, or um key pieces of advice for other companies that are, are sort of small Small fish in big ponds, if you like. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know what? Good, good 
look to you if you are if you find yourself in this boat it's no mean feat but there's two there's two distinct audiences in our world and we 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 sort of cottoned onto this recently and that is people going up and people coming down and what what that means is that for us to compete against marketo and hubspot and the likes when people are coming back down so they've spent two years with marketo they spent three years with HubSpot, whatever. It's very easy for us to, to demonstrate why we're different because they understand the market, they understand the product, they understand the weaknesses they're going to face, and they understand where they're going to need support. So it's very easy for us to demonstrate, you know, this is how we handle that. Problem is, so we understand that that's one market. We understand that's one group of users, and we've identified that. And in any industry, in any product where you are competing, you've got people going either way. So that's one. The second one, obviously, is the people that are, new to the technology, new to the approaches, that they're much harder to convince, much harder. So these guys are perhaps a little bit more flattered by the bright lights, which is understandable. We all are. Um, and it's it's a harder sell to be able to say, look, you know, we're a little bit cheaper, uh, but that's not enough. You know, it's not about the money. It's 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 the messaging. It's the brand. It's everything that they're aligning with. And as a, as a marketeer coming into this space for the first time, you feel like you want to align with a brand that you've heard of before. And, it, and you know, that's been one of our big focuses to become a brand you've heard of, which, as you can imagine, is really hard. Um, but but that that sort of we we started to understand that that's two very different types of people and we treat them very differently very very differently and as soon as we can identify them we then hive them off over here and talk to them like this and then these guys we hive them off of there and we talk to them like that so my biggest tip really would be about get to know the types of people that may buy your product and start to understand them. It's not you're not necessarily saying, well, if you're a plumber, I'm going to talk to you like this. If you're a carpenter, I'm going to talk to you like this. It's about it's for us. We found it's more about where you've been and where you're going that that makes the difference. That is such so great that. advice because I think there's a lot of um, and especially on this podcast, we've talked a lot about uh, defining your audience and understanding the market that you're selling to, and then you're kind of like taking it one step further by saying, well, you know, you need to understand uh, where the the customers are in their journey with the technology. Yeah, Do you need to educate them about the technology first, or are they already aware of it? And then it's just a case of educating them, educating them about the benefits. Um, and there's a lot of tech companies out there that are in that space where they do have two different types of, of user. And I don't yeah. think a lot of people consider that. So that's, yeah, brilliant advice. Um, but did you, at what point during the last sort of nine years, did you realize that? Um, yeah, quite late on. <laughs> um, well, probably, probably within the last three years or so, there's a number of factors that, that sort of highlighted that was number one our own technology started to evolve considerably and so we were able to get a greater sight into the metrics i've always been a bit of a um a geek in a lot of respects in that um data has been been one of my sort of um it sounds really really sad to say passions it's because it's not a passion passion is about the data (laughs) yeah it sounds really weird just saying that but anyway the, the point is actually it's data holds the key everything for whatever it is whether you want to fly to mars whatever it is data will always hold the key the 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 point is it's being able to use data and not many people can use data so when you're looking at reams and reams of data and thousands and thousands of interactions from web email whatever what does it mean and so there was a point about three years ago when we introduced a feature within our platform which enabled us to visualize data a little bit better and that helped me massively so it was all about understanding that message when i talk to you about booking a demo about looking at these wonderful great features doesn't work 
you don't care. But my open rates and everything, and this is something else we want to, I want to talk about later on, is the, the vanity metrics of this world. But, you know, everything looks average. Everything looks normal. But when I start to look at my two groups, when I started to identify that, hold on, we might have switchers and we might have virgins. And when I started to look at that through data, I was able to say, oh, yeah, they are falling flat on their ass whenever we talk about feature, whenever we talk about. But when we talk about support, that audience dies and that audience comes to life. And this is where it starts to get interesting. I mean, obviously, that's real high level. It was much more complicated than that. But it was I probably only sort of really grasped this in the last couple of years because technology enabled me to grasp it, really. And it was by chance I uncovered it or we uncovered it. I'm not taking all the glory. So were you one of the very few people that were really excited about the prospect of GDPR uh, as opposed to most of us that were like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, you could say that. I mean, you could say it was like the Wild West before, but I don't think it was. Um, you know, I do think GDPR was was a very positive thing to have happened within, within the world. Um, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, obviously in the midst of our political situation with the EU at the moment, obviously it was a, an EU collaborative uh, initiative to, to across the whole of the EU. It would have been more beneficial if it was a world union in, initiative, you know, because it's great as a UK business working to the UK, sorry, as a, an EU-based business working to the EU rules, but then you move it out to the North America and it doesn't apply anymore. Things don't yeah. matter. Uh, or, you know, so, so I think actually GDPRs was, was, you know, it was brilliant because it meant actually people did stupid things. People did just did not understand what they had to do and they ditched out of the mailing lists and they killed things. And, you know, you didn't need to do all of that. You, maybe you did, I don't know, but most people didn't. But then, you know, what, what it did do was it, it encouraged people to start thinking properly about data and that's what they, what they needed to do from the start. Yeah, and on on the data side of things, uh, especially because I went to a went to a marketing summit last week, and I was sat amongst a, a range of people in the audience. So it was a range of marketer, like marketeers, marketers. I never know what is our label these days. Um, you know, sort of small business owners, larger business owners. So it was a real mix of people in the crowd, and one of the key themes was that a lot of the things that marketers are talking about was way too overwhelming for smaller businesses. Because they just, you know, you need to monitor this, you need to track this, you need to focus on this. um, And it's all very, very overwhelming. So email marketing is still such a huge part of of business and it's such a hugely valuable part of business. What would you say to sort of smaller businesses that are feeling that overwhelm or even larger businesses that are feeling that overwhelm? Because we've spoken before about focusing on the right thing rather than on everything. Yeah, no, yeah, that's such a good point, Charlie, because... You know, we go. I go to these these events on a regular basis, and I agree. You know, quite often we often give talks, and we're sat in the audience, and and some of the audience isn't a marketeer, so, and some of them are small business marketers, some of them are, are enterprise. And it's so difficult to 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 deliver a message that works across the whole, and and it's very it's very easy for 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 somebody in my position or or even your position or or whoever. You know, to try and, you know, always be hitting the impressive notes, the stuff that is wowing people, but actually it's just going, oh, shut up. So even when I'm saying about talking about the data, you know, and all that, even that sounds a little bit like maybe you've gone a bit. So, so it's, I don't think necessarily the industry and our counterparts in the industry have done enough to educate the marketplace as to what actually does matter and and if if you indulge me because this is one of my my bugbears actually uh, charlie and that is 
metrics. Um, this is the reporting. This is the world of vanity metrics. Oh, one um, of my big topics too. <laughs> yeah, okay, so so vanity metrics and the term vanity metrics is is the thing that most of the marketing world actually focus on and and these are the things like an email open rate classic keeping it within email uh, email open rate or an email click rate it's a vanity metric if i want to increase my open rates do you know what i just send to some less people that don't open my emails and then all of a sudden my open rates go up a little bit now and as i've said to you before you know that's a vanity metric because my open rate has literally no correlation to my business bottom line whatsoever you know i can have an amazing open rate and be losing money or, or not losing money be, be receiving less sales whatever it doesn't matter so so where i said before you know what i think my my our counterparts have not done a good enough job because they've set a lot of the charges here and they have not educated the world towards educating so to to looking at data reporting and you know if i showed you if i showed you the dashboard that i look at and it's just some graphs right you know you probably get it on google analytics but it's just some graphs of how our segment engages but when i look at it i can see when this Times when the segment or the date, you know, that particular group of people is, they're more engaged. The lines look like this. And there's times where it's like, like this. And it's like this again. And then, so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, maybe seasonality is a factor here. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe people have things that, you know, outside their, their work life, you know, B2B context that influence when they open emails in a, in a, you know, during work time, you know, school holidays. I can't think straight because the kids are running around me. I'm working from home, whatever. Um, and then things like that. And then the other one that, that, that we focus on, which is the data within the data reporting is, is lead scoring. And, you know, lead scoring is a cold, hard killer. It, it is literally, you know, you could map your, your sort of inquiries and your lead score and they'd mirror each other identically. So, so lead score, average lead score in a segment versus average inquiry, it's, it's like bang on. And in fact, actually lead score is the precursor. So you see lead scores go up and then you see, uh, inquiries come in so so I'm looking at a, a graph in my dashboard which is like seasonality lead score average lead score for the users within my segment and then I'm looking at a, a growth in a segment and I know the thing is that's you know you can get some of this in Google Analytics you can get all of it in Force 24 and that's where being the MD of a, a software company is great because I get to say what goes in my toy box and what toys we got to play with. And it's, it's kind of like when, when, we, when we show people and put narrative to these things, it's like, oh, yeah, I get why you've done that. That's pretty cool. Wow. That leads me on to my next point, which is a really good point, because, again, one of the other things that I like about Force24 is that you're constantly innovating and you're constantly updating the platform. You start thinking of new things, uh, new features to yeah. introduce. Um, how easy has it been or what is the driving force behind that constant innovation um with what you're yeah. doing okay good question you know um it's really easy really really easy so so interestingly in the last 18 months we've released 1000 and i think it's about 60 releases back into our product environment so those are big things some of those are little things you know some you know there'd be it'd be fair to say that there's a proportion of those that are bug fixes improvements speed simple ui alts whatever but then it's that how do you know you're spending the development resource and stuff people want to buy and we made a decision a while ago and that was that we we were going to offer we're going to offer free training and support to life for all of our customers why is it because we're just really stupid and we can't claim we can't charge for training revenue no because it gives us that insight that says people lean on us People lean on us and our team every day. Um, and then the moment something shows up and it becomes a recurring theme, 
it just then gets escalated and because it's costing it's burdening your support channels when we when we've got a significant burden on our support channel from something it gets development focused because this it's free and it's it's, it's a big cost so and then the other thing is so so this is sort of you've got three levels you know you've got your bug fixing you've got you know, you got you know your, your your tweaks and improvements, and then you've got your features and your big, and they're sort of born out of user stories. So the big the big headline stuff, um, like we recently released a, a, an update to our microsite editor and our what we call genius blocks, um, and it's like where are we going with those and how do we think about those? And it's easy because we as a business understand what we're here to do as a role. We understand what our role in the, in the world is. And that is we hold data and we analyze data, you know, contact data. So I hold your details and I've got your name. I've got, you know, you, when you started buying from us, what you've bought from us, all this kind of stuff, we hold all that data. And our role is to analyze that data all the time. And output channels, email, SMS, social, whatever, they're going to come and go and different ones are going to come in and they're going to go. Um, and there's different uses of how we do, how we, how we use that data. Um, and, and these are the things that, so we're thinking sort of 10 years ahead really in our thinking now, and we're bringing, you know, bringing it back down to where we can use, what we can use now. And when the technologies that we can use now, but we know where this industry is going to go. And we know that it's going to be all about holding these huge data warehouses and actioning conversation off the back of these data warehouses automatically and that's what it's about and the channels like i said they come they go and our job is to make sure that we we, we remain in charge of our, our our position in the world there's a really great theme there which is around um listening to what's coming in from a customer service point of view um yeah. i preach on about this all of the time because especially uh, one of the biggest challenges in tech and especially in b2b from where i see it is that sales and marketing don't talk to one another but then there is yeah. another level onto that in that customer service also needs to be part of that conversation because yeah. it's customer service that are very customer facing so they hear all of the problems the challenges the frustrations um yeah. and that they need to then be informing sales and marketing to then continually yeah. develop so yeah absolutely brilliant point and i hope that a lot of our listeners are kind of like listening to this thinking hmm, do i spend enough time listening to customer service and what you know what our customers are talking about what do they want what do they need and you know in what language are they asking for those features as well you know what's interesting though charlie is because now i look at it i think oh yeah yeah, yeah i meant to do that you know <laughs> it really you know i don't know it sound like you know we've got everything right in the world but it's just that that yeah, now you say it like that, it's really obvious, isn't it? You know, the customer service, they're in touch with customers. They're, they're knowing where the, the product's falling down, where it's strong, you know. It's, so they're the ones that, and, and it's true. That's But then again, a lot of businesses try to shy away from and try to automate that process to the best of their ability. So they're not actually having that human, human interaction. And what we find is when a human has the conversation with, with a user, um, rather than just a bot or a support channel where we can look at the traffic to certain articles and things like that, we actually start to pick a point, pick apart whether there's a weakness in the training, the sales process, or the platform. And you know that's where those help articles. Do we need to say something different in the sales process that makes you understand better about what that does? Do we need to train you better because actually you totally missed the point of what that bit does? Or is it the fact that um, you know it's just not very clear? It's not very easy to use. So, and you, you know what, unless you've got that one-to-one, -one, unless you try and welcome in that, 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 those, those comments, you know, you sat forever in a day wondering. And that, that's why I think the challenge, you know, you, you can't look 
at marketing in isolation. You can't look at sales in isolation. You can't look at customer service in isolation because, you know, you could be making so much revenue from product sales because your sales team are amazing. Your marketing team are bringing bringing in loads of leads, but then your messaging might be a little bit off. So your customer service costs uh, are absolutely huge. So therefore you're making less profit and you can only sort of like identify where you need to focus on fixing if you actually look at all different areas of the business. (laughs) And I think about this now and I'm just like, wow, it's the same of what you said. If you knew then what you know now, you could just have done something, you know, done everything so much easier, faster and and better. Definitely, definitely. And, and actually that, that retention rate is the core metric in our, in our entire business. So, so it's linked into sales, it's linked into support, it's linked into marketing, it's everything. So yeah. retention rate ups and downs are like, whoa, what's happened there? What did we say differently? What were, it's so important that you get that, that retention rate um, up and maintain it. And what would you say? Because I think from my point of view, that's where I, I feel like there's the real opportunity for smaller businesses because they can look at all elements of the business. And it's a lot easier to yes. make informed decisions based on that data than larger organizations have already got all of these like really clear established systems and processes and not necessarily yeah. talking to one another. Um, did you do that in your business or has that just been like kind of like learning learning curve over the years? Yes, learning curve over the years. You know, I mean, I, I'd love to be able to say, you know, it's all part of the, you know, the, the master plan, but it wasn't. These are the vanilla bits. These are the bits around the side that you don't necessarily think about when you're forming the business plan and you're developing the product and the, the, the teams to spot it. These are the bits that you find when that team starts to let you down because they're not talking to that team. And that's, you know, and this is the glue that sits in the middle. So, so no, we, you know what, we, we probably relate to the party on this as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you can go so far, but then it's, you've got to start to grease those wheels. And, and that's where we're finding now. I mean, the training and support has always been a thing for us. You know, it's always been a, like, you know, that's, that's just who we are. Um, because I, you know, call me quite patriotic or whatever you like, but I do find the Brits are actually pretty good at, at client services, you know, hospitality we're terrible you know? <laughs> depends so, who you ask well yeah well depends who you ask yeah perhaps yeah um we, but you know in terms of customer services we've got a slightly different mentality and that is we will go that extra mile to make sure that you're happy or we'll make sure that you know if, if things aren't going too well well maybe we'll just knock a little bit off or we'll make sure that this is right or we'll do that or we'll invest in that for you and that's where we go whereas whereas we do tend to see that there's a very hard line from our friends across the pond which which perhaps is a little bit more aggressive um and who knows um it's just it's the route we've chosen and we're proud to be you know quite an ethical and supporting company yeah I think that was one of well one of the things that I loved about working with you guys because I was definitely one of those more challenging clients because email marketing email automation because I've you know I'm not a trained marketer this was never ingrained in me when I went to school you know I was an engineer so I was much more interested in in the code and getting behind the scenes and figuring out how that worked and then in the overall strategy, not in the the middle part. So for yeah. me, it was a huge, uh, steep learning curve, which I think definitely uh, you and and Lee have to shout out to Lee at, at Force Twenty Four. <laughs> you know, yeah. very very patient with me, especially um, yeah. in getting set up with the business. Yeah, yeah. No, do you know what? Everybody's the same. So you you weren't any different, Charlie. You know, you you you, you know you you guys were you know you you were perhaps in you you were fairly fairly new to the role, as I recall at that at that time. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, it was like everything on, on your shoulders. Um, but, you know, everybody's in the same boat. You know, we've got clients that are 
tiny micro entities, one guy, two guys, you know, that's, we've got, we've got those clients. And, and actually we find that they're usually quite forward thinking, uh, marketing focused organizations and marketing focused means I listen to everything. You know, it doesn't just mean I'm just doing marketing. It means I'm listening everywhere. And marketers always say, well, why does it have to be like that? Which is sometimes really annoying, but it actually makes <laughs> stuff better. Um, and, um, you know, right the way up to the enterprise level clients where, where we're, we're just a small cog in a, in a big machine. And, and so it, it doesn't matter. Everybody comes and is often a little bit less um, in tune with automation principles than they perhaps had hoped or perhaps thought they were. Some people think I've, I'm useless, I have no idea, and we help them. But then other people, you know, do know a lot about it, got a lot of experience in it, and then they sort of fit right into the mold. So courses for courses. Absolutely. So what's what does the future hold for Force 24? Kind of like what's what's coming next? What can people expect? So loads of stuff, really. I mean, we're going to continue in our sort of UK, European sort of stance of domination uh if we if we can you know we, we are on the sides of the big guys now there's there's no two ways about it if you if you mention our name to hubspot they, they they've got a horrendous story that they've made up about about us guys but um oh, no. apparently i used to work in recruitment and which I, I didn't nothing against recruiters but i didn't um and we've only been going a couple of years and anyway whatever um so uh what's next is we're going to continue to to make that 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 sort of dent in the in, in the marketplace we've got some awesome product innovations coming out we're starting to scratch away at new markets through through the use of product innovation one of the things we've done is we're opening the door to paid search paid search is very much um you know the paid search agencies of this world or, or the in-house search guys of this world have got all the power of google at their fingertips all the power of msa uh, bing whatever it's called now whatever at their fingertips but then they're, they're shoving this data, this extremely sophisticated data with extremely sophisticated adverts, with extremely sophisticated bid strategies into really basic environments, i.e. your website, i.e. your landing pages. And one of the things that we're doing now is, we, we, well, we've just released it actually, is a component that now listens to the ad that you've come from that swaps out all the various components on the page so we can display your content. As, you know, So stuff like that is big. We're going to be doing a lot more work in, in making your life easier. So. My principle is if it takes you five minutes right now, can I make it take one? I want to take it, I want it to take you one minute. So, you know, a lot of things that we keep harping on about, about, um, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if it takes you any more than five minutes to build an email, you're doing something wrong. It takes you more than 15 minutes to build a landing page, you're doing something wrong. And, and, you know, we're going to be trying to make that smaller, make it even less. If we can do 10 minutes, we can do two minutes, you know, this is what we're going to be doing. We're also, uh, we're building a, uh, a, a massive project at the moment, which is a big engineering project under the underlying data layer. It's boring for people to listen to, but listen about, but it will, you know, as I was saying before, we understand our role in the world. We understand that we're going to start to do some really exciting in-app stuff as, as the next generation starts to come through. And it's going to be more about that sort of transactional level data retention that, that is about that's our job to retain, hold and execute on. And, you know, at the minute, you know, we are primitive human beings in comparison to the kids that are coming through. Now, I watch my kids with on um, on, on their phones, eight and ten, um, you know, and their phones and their iPads and their Xbox 360 or whatever it is. And the the messaging and the the subtle art of selling within those games are becoming extremely fine. They don't use email, 
they don't use sms they're not interested in that this it's it's much more detailed than that so so for us as as mere mortals to keep up with them we're going to have to start to do, to engineer some pretty sophisticated environments that sit underneath there um so so that's that's come in that's really exciting um so a marketing automation platform that focuses on email and sms <laughs> that acknowledges that the new generations are not using email and sms yeah you, know, yeah, you have yeah, to yeah, in, innovate or die who was it who coined that phrase i've got no idea <laughs> I don't know, but real smart guy. <laughs> well, it's, it's true, isn't it? You know, when you think about it, email, what a flat, boring environment that is. And SMS, well, you know what? Again, total junk. But it is absolutely imperative to businesses. It's such it's such a, a powerful form of communications because what's our other options? We either get on the phone, come and see you, send you a letter. So, you know, as I, I don't believe that email's on its way out. I don't believe SMS is on its way out. I think, you know, there probably will be a day when it does, but, you know, I don't think it's anytime soon. Um, there will be other channels that become more prominent. Um, but there's some part of me, and, and, you know, maybe it's a slightly perverse part of my brain, but I like getting offers. I like receiving <laughs> And I like being told there's a discount on something or I like, I, you know, I like it. So I, d- I can't agree that I like it so much, but I've definitely, especially, especially in the last 18 months since uh, going out on my own, I've been very analytical of my own behaviors between buying software, yeah. um, buying service, like other business services, buying, you know, apps and, and designing things. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I hate people that constantly email you like every day, reminding you of the off, reminding you, you of the deadline. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Actually, I was the person that signed up to that program five minutes before the cutoff date and, <laughs> and read every single email that was sent to me, hating every minute of it, but I still did what they yeah. wanted me to, <laughs> you know? And it's the same. It's just like, you know, I, I respond to offers. Uh, I have emails that sit in one of my inboxes for months. Um, yeah. And it's only every now and again, that I decide to then check it and then re-engage with that brand. And I think it's these things that a lot of people, because on the, the face of it, you hate, that behavior and you hate it but then if you actually sit back and analyze how you interact with other businesses and other brands you're like That's yeah it. it does work <laughs> it does as, as annoying as it is it kind of just or just do as you're told the first time you're told and then then you won't have that problem well I don't know I'm one of, yeah I'm, I'm a deadline you know a deadline dancer <laughs> you know, I, kind I, of I, like I, the four different buyer types if you look at that it's like kind of uh, you have the the spontaneous buyers you know people that will instantly snap up an offer especially if they're bought into the brand you have your humanistic buyers that need um, a, a compelling reason they need um, you know lots of testimonials and case studies and backups from other people to say that this is the product for them uh, yeah. you've got your uh, methodical buyers that like need all of the detail, all of the technical detail and all of the information that most people do not care about at all, but they need it. Uh, and then you've got your kind of like last minute.com buyers that will analyze everything and then make the decision at the very last minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, Charlie, that's, that's really interesting. You talk about this. I've, I've written a piece that's about this. Okay. So, so it's called the ultimate nurture sequence. Now the thing is, what you said there is you've got, you've got, I don't know how many, it's like five or six different. Four different biotypes, yeah. Four different biotypes, okay. So you've got four different biotypes, but it's not to say that you should say you're biotype A, therefore I won't talk to you about the other, the other mm-hmm. types. But because actually what you, you responded on that one, but you absorbed the others, okay? 
So it makes it really difficult. So if you're, if you're, if you're, um, so I, I've got a rule. Okay. So if I'm producing a piece of content and I want you to read this piece of content or do this thing, uh, and it's a white paper or, or, or a PDF or something like that, it's worth 18 social media posts and six emails. Mm-hmm. That's the view. Okay. So you've got to be able to execute 18 social media posts and six emails for every piece of content you do. Obviously, if it's if it's worth a lot more than that, and it's it's multidimensional, we've got to go even deeper still. Um, so what I've got to do is I've got to take into account the fact that you've got different human types of human beings out there, right? I've got to take into account you're busy, you're on holiday, you're whatever, whatever. Um, and then I've got to take into account the, what, what I call human argument, okay? So the human argument says that, that there are six stages or six things I need to do to get you to do something. Okay. So first of all, first thing I've got to do from the human argument is that I've got to introduce an introduction. I've got to introduce what I want you to do. So let me put this into context. Do you want to go to the pub, Charlie? So there we go. I've put it out there. Do you want to go to the pub? So you're going to go, "Mm," or maybe ignore me. Okay. Then I say, (laughs) okay, I've next step. The second step along that chain is social proof so this is the case studies this is the this is the the, the, one of the, book, the so this is me saying oh john's coming come on we'll go to the pub john's coming okay so i'm reiterating the argument through the next thing is gain so gain is i'll buy you a pint now you know obviously it's you've got to put this into your context but this is all in one of the guides i've written this is brilliant so you've done i've got the gain the gain is okay, i'll buy you a pint um next thing is fear and really frustratingly, fear pulls like a steam train. And it's the one that everybody, well, not everybody, but there's another one I'll tell you in a moment, which, which, which responds just as well. But it's well, we fear name. loss of greater than we value gain. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's weird, isn't it? It's weird. So um, fear, right. Okay. You, you know, last time you didn't come out, uh, we all had a great time and you missed out. Whatever. So next thing is logic. And logic is where I pull it all together for you. So I say, come on, let's go to the pub. I'll buy you a pint. John's coming. Um, don't miss out this time because we had a great time. But now, after logic, I've got to introduce urgency. And this is the sixth and final step, which says, come on, we're going now. Now, if you mm-hmm. think about the change that you've received in the past of these emails and, and think you know, how, how they've approached it across the time, maybe they've used a similar methodology, maybe they've used that methodology, but, but that's the one that we've said, look, you know, if, you, if you were going to convince somebody to do it, that's what you do. We've broken it down. We've given example templates of how you'd address that. Um, and, it's, and it's really interesting because you know, on average, you've also got to remember, I open one in six commercial emails. One in six. And I always challenge anybody to try and remember an email they received yesterday. That not from a friend, not from Jet2 or Groupon, because you know they come in every single day. I'm talking about a commercial email that you received yesterday. Remember it, go. Nobody can you maybe if it was something of interest, maybe they've hit yeah, maybe you've retained it. Most people can't. And that's the thing. Most people can't. So we're marketeers sat in our ivory towers thinking, oh, you know, you sent out that fear message and, oh, it's going to upset people or whatever. No, it's not going to upset people. It's going to resonate with the people that it resonates with at that particular time. And and the rest of you, you won't even remember it. It's gone. It's dead. It didn't exist. Um, And so it's, it's interesting when you sort of look at it from that perspective as you receiving it and then understanding the psychology from this end. And then 
that actually the, the 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 lethargy argument that we all face is oh, I can't be bothered, and the <laughs> level of commitment I actually face in my head. Yeah, is that overwhelm again, isn't it? that so everybody feels overwhelm in all sorts of different aspects of business, whether it's like overwhelm of being marketed to, overwhelm of doing the marketing yourself, overwhelm of following up with people and everything else. Um, but what yeah. you're saying as well is that kind of, I think what we've we've covered quite a lot in this um, interview is that the, the real value of working, you know, sort of um, on your business instead of in your business, because when you work in your business, you can't always see those psychological drivers that make your, you know, that, that dictate your own buying habits, that dictate yeah. the business's buying yeah. habits, that dictate what your customers want to do as well. If you're working yeah. in it all the time, you're too, you know, sort of tunnel visioned about what's going on. Um, yeah, you turn to broadcast, don't you? You turn to broadcast, which is, I want to tell you this, bang, I want to tell you this. And you just, you're just broadcasting all the time. Yeah rather than inviting conversation um it, it's hard and you know it's like i said to you before charlie i mean how we i don't we all right for time on this yeah i was going to say yeah we'll probably <laughs> wrap, wrap this up soon okay okay the, the other thing is is it's about is about killing that complexity so you're not over engineering things in your business world that don't matter it's if things take too long you have to question whether it's worth doing or is there a better way of doing it focusing on the bits that matters and Busy people don't usually tend to make good products or good businesses. They make very, you know, you're freeing your time up from the, the minutiae, not necessarily getting other people to do it, but it's yeah. killing complexity, making life easy. And then actually thinking, think, just absorbing things and like taking a moment to, to, to think about how you behave and what people might want to hear about rather than broadcast, broadcast all the time. Yeah. I think for me as well, like with email, the biggest thing, especially in the B2B field, is clarity. There is so much noise and so much complexity uh, or like trying to bombard everybody with too much information, too many sort of like technical features, um, too much detail. Whereas that kind of, you want to get people on the phone to then identify, do they need to know all of these things? Do they want to know? And if so, if they want to know it, why do they want to know it? But, you know, just be super clear because... I think it was like talk about events and trade shows. It's like people aren't clear about what it is that they're doing in the emails that they send in the follow-up as well. It's still just as confusing. And you just yeah. like sat there going, well, what does this company actually do at the end of the day? Yeah. And so and then you're just like more inclined to then hit unsubscribe um, yeah. or getting irrelevant emails, like knowing your audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're, absolutely. That's super clarity. You know, it's one of those things. I do this thing. It's called a squint test, right? It's where I sit back. Like this, I'm, if I'm appraising anything, it's an ad, it's a, a microsite, it's a whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I sit back in my chair like this and I squint at it. <laughs> and if I, if that, in my opinion, represents the same amount of intel that the average person who doesn't know you, doesn't care about you, tap that ad, viewing that ad on the on the web page, receiving that email, whatever. That that sort of, if you can sit back in your chair, squint and see what that is telling you, and it is clear as day then you've got a winner. If mm -hmm. not, get rid. And, and I find that, you know, people tend to be too verbose and try to be too intelligent sounding. You know, brands, the big brands have a, a, a you know, a, a tone of voice and that tone of voice is to set the charge. So mm -hmm. that when, when we, you know, most tone of voices have a reading age of about eight, you know, and it was quite, you know, it's quite bizarre actually, because most adults, I've got a much lower reading age than, than we realize. My reading age is probably only that of a 15-year-old or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not. But I mean, the point is, you know, 
the sun's written for a reading age of about eight as well, isn't it? Or the date and so the well, it's priorities as well. It depends on what you're doing at the time. If you're reading an email that's sent to you by a business, are you actually focusing all of your brain power on reading that email? Yeah, that's or that. are you skim reading it? And then do you just need to know like kind of headlines to then decide whether or not you want to take it one step further or not? Yeah, bingo, bingo. And if you can skim, if you can squint test it and it gets that message across, I'll commit a few more milliseconds of my brain power to maybe understand some of the lowest stuff uh, that maybe gives me a bit more detail. And then maybe, just maybe, click. And that's then where I'm on the journey. There you go. It's all about that journey. Awesome. Well, we're, yes, we've been chatting for quite a while now, so <laughs> I probably need to, to wrap it up. Um, are you able to send me that document so I can share that with everybody in the show notes? Because I think that will be really interesting to read. Um, yeah. And do you have any kind of like parting words of wisdom or guidance uh, that you want to share with our listeners? Um, I'd love to have something profound to say at this stage, but <laughs> I don't, I don't. Um, by British, that's probably the most... <laughs> Uh, no, I know we've got global audiences, but it's very much, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, businesses out there, it's not just about the big boys. There is lots of great opportunities. There's so many niche, really, really powerful niche tech products being coming out of, uh, of every little corner of all every little country. And they are just revolutionizing our world. It's just as easy to get overwhelmed and, and, and dumb bundled with, with, with lots of new fanable tech. So, so perhaps take it easy. So, Nothing really more exciting and profound than that to offer. Oh, I love it though. It's just like, you know, don't always rely on the tech giants because it's all about the tech startups, which is, I I adore tech startups. I love looking at tech startups as well. So um, great advice there. And if anybody wants to contact you or find out more about uh, you or Force24, what's the best way that they can do that? Well, if you go to our website, force24.com, um you can either book a demo you can ask us a question you can there's even a little chat on there um where you can chat directly to one of our one of our team um so yeah that's the best way to do it brilliant well thank you so much for being on this podcast and uh yeah good luck with everything i look forward to hearing more about your updates yeah you too thanks charlie thanks a lot bye-bye when you're working on exciting projects in tech or trying to change the world, it's hard to focus on marketing and it might not seem like a big priority for you right now. Talking about what you're working on and the driving force behind why you're doing it will help you raise your profile in your industry and keep your audience up to date and interested. My goal for this podcast is to share the amazing things that businesses and individuals are working on that will shape the world of tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform and share it with the others that you think would benefit. If you liked it loads, then feel free to leave me a review. All the show notes and any links mentioned in today's episode will be available on my website. That's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.